This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Don't you understand? It doesn't have to be like this. You have to help. It's gotten out of control. It's too big. It is time to launch a new war against the evil of lies, deceit, and darkness and go all out to win the victory of truth and transparency and light. Sure, go ahead. Believe everything you see on television, everything you read in the newspaper. Go ahead. Get your history out of the Encyclopedia Britannica. Yeah, that's right. Oswald killed Kennedy. Yeah, sure he did. Man, you are living in Disneyland. Live from Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zuma Radio, AM 740. Welcome to the broadcast for Sunday... February 19, 2012, and in the second hour of the program, uh, we'll discuss uh, my guest's theory of supernatural mechanics. I always considered my auto mechanic to be supernatural. I mean, he uh, opens the hood, he comes out and presents me with a bill for $4,000. <laughs> That's pretty supernatural, but we're not talking about that kind of a mechanic. Um, uh, Thomas Fusco is a, an independent researcher, and he has uh, put together a very impressive work called Behind the Cosmic Veil, utilizing a model based on part, in part rather, on a lost biblical uh, text, I guess, or, or lost biblical cosmology. Uh, he, he, he believes this, this framework, this supernatural mechanics theory, can explain the workings of miracles, psychic phenomena, uh, paranormal phenomena. So, I guess, moreover, what if this same exact cosmological model could be applied to shed light on a number of other anomalies still confronting science today, like uh, gravity, the origins of intelligence, quantum entanglement, dark matter, and so on and so forth. We'll get into all of that in the second hour of the program. Thomas Fusco, the author of Behind the Cosmic Veil. Now, this is a talk show, in case you haven't heard, and one of the things that we do from time to time is uh, ask you to participate, not only with your ears. We always ask you to participate with your ears, but occasionally with your voices, which means uh, calling in and uh, uh, with questions and comments for the guest. But sometimes it's just you and me, and that's what we're going to do for the first hour. It's been a while, friends, since we've chatted. So the, the first hour of the program will be open lines, and we'll take it wherever you want to go. Of course, we don't, uh, we don't swap veal recipes on the conspiracy show, as you can well imagine. We discuss cover-ups and geopolitics and UFOs and things that go bump in the night and quantum mechanics, if you want to go there, although that's probably a little above my pay scale. But, hey, I'm good to play along. So why don't we do that, friends? 
get thee to the phones with uh, questions and comments and whatever you'd like to chat about. For the first hour, 416-360-0740. 416-360-0740. And that's good for the greater Toronto area. But of course, uh, this program reaches way down into... Uh, of the Carolinas and uh, from Maine to Minnesota and all over Ontario and Quebec. And for, the, for those who can't phone 416, here's the number. You want to write this down and put it on your fridge. 866-740-4740. 866, I'm sorry, did I get, is that right, David? 866 no, yes, it is. <laughs> you see, it's been a while since I tossed that number out. Let's do it again. 866-740-4740. And uh, we will be talking to Thomas Fusco in the second hour, as I mentioned. Hey, you know, sometimes what's, what I find fascinating is when things that we talk about on this program eventually filter or percolate up into the mainstream media. And to me, that's very telling when a, when a story, and I've been talking about things like mind control on Toronto airwaves for about a dozen years, and there are others who have been talking about it before me, no doubt. But when it finally reaches the mainstream media, I, I, I think that's fascinating. And the, a number of stories that I'm going to share with you over the next hour have actually have done just that. Witness uh, this one. Now, many of you who are uh, interested in UFOs are familiar with uh, uh, Timothy Good. Uh, he's written a number of books about, about on the subject. But here's something you may not have known. He was actually a, um, a former congressional and Pentagon consultant. And you also may have heard the story and believed it to be sort of fantasy uh, of President Eisenhower, former U.S. President Eisenhower, have had, having had secret meetings with aliens. Now this is being uh, uh, confirmed, at least again by uh, Timothy Good, a former Pentagon consultant, and it's, it's made the Daily Mail last week the London Daily Mail. President Eisenhower had three, not one, not two, but three secret meetings with aliens, former Pentagon consultant claims. Former American President Dwight D. Eisenhower had three secret meetings with aliens, a former U.S. government consultant has claimed. The 34th President of the United States met the extraterrestrials at a remote air base in New Mexico in 1954, according to lecturer and author Timothy Good. Eisenhower and other FBI officials are said to have organized the showdown with the space creatures by sending out telepathic messages. The two parties finally met up on three separate occasions at the Holloman Air Force Base, and there were many witnesses, quote-unquote. Conspiracy theorists, writes the Daily Mail, have circulated increased rumors in recent months that the meeting between the commander-in-chief and people from another planet took place. But the claims from Mr. Good a former U.S. Congress and Pentagon consultant, are the first to be made publicly by a prominent academic. Speaking on Frank Skinner's BBC2 current affairs show Opinionated, he said that governments around the world have been in regular contact 
uh, with aliens. Did I just lose my mic? I'm not hearing myself. Hello? There we are. Sorry about that. Someone's trying to jam the signal. Uh, speaking on Frank Skinner's BBC Two Current Affairs show, Opinionated, he said that governments around the world have been in regular contact with aliens for many decades. What do you make of that? Good went on to say aliens have, have made both formal and informal contact with thousands of people throughout the world from all walks of life. Asked why the aliens don't go to somebody important like Barack Obama, he said, well, certainly I can tell you that in 1954, President Eisenhower had three encounters, set up meetings with aliens which took place at certain Air Force bases, including Holloman Air Force Base in New Mexico. He added there were many witnesses. Eisenhower, who was president from 53 to 61, is known to have had a long, strong, a strong belief in life on other planets. All right. Why don't we step away for just a few moments on the other side? To the phones, to the phones, fair gentles. 416-360-0740-866-740-4740. If you'd like to comment on that story, I've got others. And also... An interesting, interesting commentary from the erstwhile Fox Business commentator, Judge Andrew Napolitano, who was fired last week. And after you hear this broadcast, you may understand why the unseen hand wanted him off the air. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Hope you'll be along for the ride and the conversation. Big Brother is listening, and so are you, to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740. To speak with Richard, call 416-360-0740 or toll-free in Ontario at 1-866-740-4740. The truth is not out there. It's right here. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740. Thomas Fusco behind the cosmic veil coming up in under an hour. And uh, a new theory of um, supernatural mechanics, he says, can explain many supernatural, paranormal phenomena, miracles, and so forth. Can't wait for that conversation. That's the kind of thing I really we can really sink our teeth into. Am I right? And again, I hope you'll be along for that conversation. And right now I'm inviting you uh, to be a part of this conversation and you can take it just about wherever you want. Um, I guess the theme is um, stories that, that, uh, or the, 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 the subject matter uh, that I've been talking about on this show for over a dozen years on several other radio stations, including this one. Uh, and, and now we're starting to see them break through into the mainstream media. Now, here's the question. Is this simply a, cynic, a cynical profit motive at work? Are, are the, is the mainstream media waking up to the fact that people are, in fact, interested in this? And that if they're going to save their bacon, because we all know people are voting with their, their feet and their dollars and they're not subscribing to newspapers anymore. They're, they're looking for their information elsewhere. Whether it's uh, John Stewart and uh, his daily show or seriously, people are getting their news now from, you know, the the uh, the late night uh, stand up comics and so forth uh, or uh, various Internet uh, sites or programs like this. Is this why the mainstream media is now starting to pay attention to these 
to this subject matter? Take, for example, of this story that ran at the end of January in a pretty good Canadian newspaper, the Winnipeg Free Press. Mind control will be a primary focus of neuroweaponry, which is expected to reshape warfare, neuroscientists confirm. Emerging technologies will give birth to highly sophisticated adversarial applications centered on brain science. Conventional battlefield methodology could soon fade into history. Quote, we are approaching a time when brain science will be critical to our national security, confirmed James Forsyth of Sandia National Laboratories. According to James Giordano of Georgetown University and the Potomac Institute for Policy Studies and colleague Rachel Warsman at Georgetown University, the battlefields of the future will be shaped by advances in neuroscience focused for military purposes. Major breakthroughs in brain science relevant to national security are both viable and imminently achievable. Imminently achievable, Giordani suggested at a recent neuroscience conference. The result would be an arsenal of neuroweapons, concluded Jonathan Marks at Penn State. Such an arsenal could include drugs, microbiological agents, and toxins from nature, explained Jonathan Marino at the University of Pennsylvania. In addition to the use of brain-machine interfaces, the hormone oxytocin could be used to make prisoners more cooperative in divulging sensitive military information. Other substances could make soldiers forget atrocities they might have committed. Wait a minute. Other substances would make soldiers forget atrocities they might have committed. Starting to sound a little bit like Manchurian candidates. Now, that's the Winnipeg, uh, Winnipeg Free Press. It's interesting that they've now finally woken up to this fact. You and I have all know, we've known about this for a long time, haven't we? But what I have found, and I, and I go back, I, I've quoted uh, Ben Rich many times in this program, but it's very apropos. Here was the, 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 the former head of Skunk Works, which was Lockheed Martin's sort of advanced research and development wing, saying that, we have things out in the desert, in a hangar, 50 years beyond your wild imagination. So in other words, if you take that quote and you sort of apply it across the board when it comes to research and development, in other words, by the time these things are divulged, they've already been in development and implemented. So when they're now saying that these advances in neuroscience are imminently achievable, you can bet your bottom dollar they're not imminent. They are here. They've been here for a long time. So now, when you start to, to think back on the programs we've done about mind control and electronic harassment, it all starts to make sense, doesn't it? Uh, let's say hello to Marlon, uh, first up, in Oshawa, Ontario. Hello, Marlon. Welcome. Hello. How are you? Okay, Rick. What's on your mind? Um, well... <laughs> Not really on my mind. It's just, well, I can't. Well, I guess it is. But uh, back in the '60s, when I was younger, about six or seven of us, right? Uh, we went down to the beach in Hamilton Beach, and we had taken a case of beer for the late night. You know, and about after two, sure, dug a hole, put the beer in. You know, and we we're going to just have a little party. But anyways, it. We, everybody opened one, but I didn't. And I walked down to the, the beach a little ways away from the six or seven people I was with. And uh, I was sitting there with my ankles in the 
near the water's edge. Yes. And all of a sudden, this this light comes like um, straight as a ruler, like you know, like I mean, down like like a beam. Are you talking about like a like a some sort of a tractor beam or? I don't know. It's coming from the sky. Okay. And it came across the lake to right to my feet, and the feeling I got was it was it was beckoning me, and I and I wanted to follow it and go to it, you know. And mm-hmm. as, and then something like butterflies filled my stomach, and I said, "Oh, I'm scared. I can't." And then it went, "I can't." And I, I said to myself, and then I went back up the same way, and then I said, "Oh, come out again, please, light. You're so beautiful." And it did. And these people said they seen the light. Your 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 compadres on the beach. Yes, and they look down and they see this light coming at me. So this is a this is a light up in the sky, and then there's a there's a a, a beam of light coming straight down. Right. And what color is the light? Um, it was just a beautiful yellow. A yellow light. Yeah. Both the light in the sky and the and the beam are, yes. are all yellow. It was just the the light coming down was yellow and across the lake at my at my ankles and then and what happened to the light in the sky did it eventually uh, uh move away uh, well, how did it went it... back up and i asked it to come out and well, three times it did it oh you asked for the beam of light to come back down my and it mind. did i said you know okay. come out again you're so it's so beautiful and it did and then it sort of beckoned me like right what eventually happened to the light in the sky oh eventually just Disappeared. Was there a was there a trajectory? Did it fly? Did it just appear and reappear? Uh, disappear? It just for the the three times it came out, it just appeared when I asked it. Right. And then and when I got scared, I like I want, it was saying, "Come, follow me." Right. I wanted to go into the the light. How on, big was it? How big was it? And it just and I couldn't because I got a, a scary feeling in the pit of my stomach. Was the moon out that night? Do you recall? <clears throat> um. No, I don't think so. No, I'm just trying to. Uh, could you gauge uh, approximately how large an object it was? How I mean, if you're looking up in the sky, I mean, was it a was it a pinprick? Was it uh, uh, the size of a quarter from where you from your vantage point? The size of a dime? Uh, no, it was like um, oh maybe two feet square, like you know, like two wide. feet square from your vantage point, looking up in the sky, it was that large. No, it was all the same. It seemed like it was all the same size. Hmm. Interesting. And, and how did that change your your uh, your life uh, or your perspective on things, Marlon? Well, for me to see something like that and it disappear and it came out when I asked it to and the feeling I got and right. Well, you know, I wasn't alone because the 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 company I was with seen it. They said they seen the light down at right. where I was sitting. And this, we're talking over forty years ago. Oh yeah, I know. <laughs> And, well, obviously that made quite an impression. It stayed with you. It's on your mind. Why is it on your mind now? Well, it's been on my mind for a long time, ever since it yeah. happened. Ever since it happened. And, uh, I mean, do you, what do you think it was? I don't know. I, I have no idea. Well, you, you, you have some thoughts on the subject, I'm guessing. Pardon? Do you, have some, you must have some thoughts on the subject. Do you well, think it was a, a, an alien spacecraft? Do you think it was an angelic encounter? Do you think it was... Um, I don't know, uh, demonic deception? What, 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 what do you think it might have been? You've, you've thought about this for 40 years, Marlon. Yeah, I've thought about it, but I thought it was, it was, it was something of no good, maybe. Interesting. Something up to no good. Yeah, yeah, because how it frightened me, how it was so beautiful and how it frightened me, it was something of 
maybe it was not, not a good-natured thing, you know? I, um, I think you made a wise decision in, uh, in sort of, I guess, uh, not heeding its, its uh, call, its siren call. Who knows? Maybe, uh, Marlon, yes. you're, you, maybe you, you narrowly escaped an abduction encounter. You may have. I don't know. All right, Marla, Rick, listen. Yes. I just want to do this quickly with you. My daughter and I stood out in back in, in Toronto, when I lived in Toronto. Right. And we were in the backyard. We lived in a townhouse down at the end of Jarvis Street by the lake. And my daughter says to me, we didn't see no planes in the sky. It was dark. And she said, Mom, look up. Do you see what I see? And I looked up. I said, well, you tell me what you see, and I'll tell you what I see. And she says, okay, I see a whole thousands and thousands of people coming uh, from the south and turning, like turning east. They were like uh, white uh, figures, you know what I mean? On the street, in the sky, where? In the sky. And I, and I said to my daughter, yes, that's what I see, Glenda. So I said, come on, let's go out to the front of the house and see if we can see it. No, we couldn't, so we went back quickly. And it was just upon thousands and thousands coming, like, I don't know how to say it, way up high from the, from the universe or something, you know what I mean, in the darkness? And they were coming, and they were going, turning to the right. My word, it almost sounds like a, a thousand horsemen of the apocalypse streaking across the sky. Listen, Marlon, I, I hope you'll call again when we have a little bit more time. i got to get on to a break, but I'd love to hear about uh, that last uh, encounter in more detail. Thank you for checking in. Good to hear from you. When we come back, Luffy, or Luffy in uh, Mississauga wants to weigh in on President Eisenhower's meeting with the aliens. And I'd like to hear from you as well. 416 360 866-744-740. If you're sure your phone isn't tapped, call now, 416-360-0740, or toll-free in Ontario at 1-866-740-4740. This is no place for the naive or the faint-hearted. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740. Uh, just before we get to uh, uh, Lutfi in Mississauga, uh, again, sort of the theme of the hour is the things that we talk about in this program, uh, sort of finding their way finally into the mainstream media. It's very curious. I just mentioned uh, the Winnipeg Free Press talking about uh, mind control and, uh, and uh, how... Uh, sort of neuroscience uh, and its military applications. It's viable and it's imminent. Here we have uh, something from Wired uh, magazine, which I would consider sort of in the mainstream. DARPA's magic plan. Of course, that's the the advanced uh, research um, sort of weapon uh, division of the, uh, the Pentagon. DARPA's magic plan, Battlefield Illusions to mess with enemy minds. Arthur C. Clarke once famously quipped that any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. So, perhaps it was inevitable that the Pentagon's extreme technology arm would eventually start acting like magicians and try to create illusions on the front lines. 
In its new budget unveiled on Monday, DARPA introduced a new $4 million investigation into technologies that will manage the adversary's sensory perception in order to confuse, delay, inhibit, or misdirect actions. DARPA calls the project Battlefield Illusion. Of course, the current operation, uh, operational art of human sensory battlefield deception is largely an ad hoc pr- practice. The agency cites as it lays, rather, the agency size as it lays out the project's goals. But if researchers can, be, uh, can better understand how humans use their brains to process sensory inputs, the military should be able to develop auditory, auditory and visual hallucinations that will provide tactical advantage for our forces. Now, keep in mind, as we were mentioning last, um, before the break, with mind control, when, when they say it's viable and it's imminent, rest assured, it's not imminent. It's been here for a while. The military's capability to utilize auditory and visual hallucinations. Think back now, 9-11, two airliners slamming into North and South Tower. And you had people say, I didn't see a plane hit the tower. I didn't see a plane hit the tower. Auditory and visual hallucinations. It's in their arsenal. It's here. It's now. It's in the mainstream media. All right. Let's say hello to Lutfi in Mississauga. Hello, Lutfi. Welcome. Hello. How are you doing? I'm well, thank you. That's actually curiosity. As I said, the curiosity kills the cat. Uh, you know, at the hype of the 61, when the race was, the moon was in its, its top level, and the media was, was all over, and a meeting with Mr. Um, Eisenhower, with the with the aliens, as they say, how come the media didn't take a picture of it? There was it wasn't wasn't like they were not available there. What how how did just pass? And it's not only once, twice or three times it passed without the media even knowing about it, or even you know we everybody loves to see it, see the uh, the aliens. Everybody would like to see their pictures. How come no no never been mentioned? How come never been taken care of? Taken pictures of? Well, uh, presumably, Lefty, because the mainstream media wasn't invited. To to those meetings, they, these are we're talking about uh, top secret uh, uh, meetings, presumably, if in fact they took place. Uh, I'm open to the possibility. I mean, I, I find it rather uh, uh, fantastic. However, uh, Timothy Good uh, has now gone public with it in the Daily Mail in London and said that there were many witnesses, but th- this was not, uh, you know, something that was discussed in a media scrum immediately afterwards. Now. If you look at the sort of the uh, if you listen to people within in, within the disclosure movement, the UFO disclosure movement, they'll they'll talk about how um, sometime, probably in the uh, in the fifties, the the whole um, UFO secrecy, um, uh, uh, you know, keeping a lid on it was handed over to private interests. Uh, these were these were um, uh, you know research and development uh, companies, advanced weapon uh, weaponry uh, development companies that were interested in UFO you know alien spacecraft technology. If you believe in that sort of thing, they were back engineering it at places like Hangar 18 at Wright Wright Patterson Air Force Base or Area 51, as the legend goes on. Uh, so in other words, this and 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 there's been a a concerted effort, so the theory goes, to keep a lid on this, to keep it clamped to keep it clamped down, to keep the, the media away from this sort of thing. 
Well, it's a media. I mean, you know, you put a lid on something, you go meeting with the Russians about the atomic uh, development or something, but this is something, it's like a heuristic, something that alien, you're going to picture up alien, you're going to see an alien, aliens that have never been seen before. Um, you, 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 you invite, they're inviting witnesses, and yet they say the media has now wasn't there. I mean, it's something that sounds ridiculous to me, I'll tell you the truth. Well, uh, let me, you know, all uh, we can do is, I guess, sort of uh, pursue it, read about it, learn more, and then make a determination. I don't know uh, if this is you, if you're hearing about it from the first time right now, after my reading it on the uh, on the Daily Mail from the Daily Mail. This has been around, you know, this this theory for, for many years. Um, this is the first time that, to my knowledge, that it's been actually given some serious treatment in a in a in a. Uh, in a mainstream newspaper, a very prestigious one, I might add, the Daily Mail. Um, however, you know, I would just advise you uh, to, you know, obviously don't take anything at face value, but at least, at least give it a fair hearing, and um, you know, continue to uh, to delve into it and and uh, and and listen. Thank you for the call in uh, Mississauga, Lutfi. Let's say hello to Daniel in Rochester. Hello, Daniel. Hi, uh, Richard. I I like your program a lot, and you're following in the great tradition that I, I first heard initiated by Long John Neville in the 60s. And it isn't, you're not like an, a coast-to-coast imitator. You're following it. I appreciate and that. Anyway, uh, I heard er, on another conspiracy kind of relation, uh, Aaron Klein, uh, saying that the uh, U.S. Uh, has uh, agreed to uh, fund $100 million dollars uh, to the Palestinian Authority on a green building project uh, for energy efficient, uh, uh, you know, n- nicely green buildings. It, it, you know, it's all for a good cause. And uh, this to the unity government that uh, it's Pal- uh, PA, um, Fatah, and Hamas. And I just thought some people would be interested in knowing. A green building uh, fund. The green building right, project. Right. Well, um, it, so I mean, are you? What do you think of it? I mean, are you? Well, uh, I, I think it's it's uh, it's dangerous that they are. Uh, Hamas is is not a voice for peace in the Middle East at this point, you know. And they they just got through, uh, you know, with diplomatic relations to uh, Iran. And, uh, you know, one of their uh, higher-ups uh, went over there and essentially pledged to not not change the policies on, uh, you know, the, uh, Israel's destruction, really. Well, that, but that unity government, that's the one in, 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 that's one in, that's the one in place. Those are the parties that are involved. And if the uh, Obama administration is committed to a, you know, uh, a two-state uh, policy, and they seem to be, then what are you going to do? You've got to deal with those people. And uh, perhaps uh, the feeling is that if you can provide um, uh, some sort of foundation for economic development, that uh, that'll go a long way into convincing people that this is the route to peace. I mean, I've been leaving Hamas out of it because, you know, you hear so much uh, um, confusing information, contradictory information about, you know, what Hamas is really about and, and who's wearing the black hats and who's wearing the white hats. I, I don't know that there are black hats and white hats. I think there are a lot of gray hats. Um, 
But, I mean, I think that the, 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 the root problem over there is seemingly intractable, but I think you can go a long way to solving a lot of those problems with economic development, high-speed trains, uh, nothing will, uh, you know, will bring people together and open up borders like commerce. Now, I'm, you know, I don't want to sound like a globalist here, and I'm, I'm not talking about, uh, you know, obliterating borders and, and destroying the nation state and creating huge trading blocks, but commerce and trade uh, and economic development is going to get the job done a heck of a lot quicker than having politicians sit in a room and talk about, you know, you got to stop building the settlements or no, we can't stop building the settlements or or or, or bending people's arms and forcing the Israeli government, uh, you know, to do something that's it, that they don't see in their best interest. If you build the economy, if you build infrastructure and people, ordinary people who just want the same things that you and I want someplace, you know, to live and uh, access to clean water. I mean, that's the number one problem as far as I can see it, access to fresh water over there. Uh, they, want, they want to send their kids to school. Once you can help people realize those things, all the other nonsense begins to fade into the background. So, Daniel, to be honest, I don't know if it's a, if it's a good policy, uh, whether they should be dealing with Hamas, I don't know. But we gotta, we got to figure out how to... How how to uh, uh, to to, um, to get people uh, working over there, build industry. Um, I I think you know uh, mega projects like let's bring a Marshall Plan to the Middle East, and build that place up, and uh, all of a sudden I think a lot of the other things will disappear. All right, uh, let's see. Uh, let's go to Scarborough. Uh, thank you for uh, Daniel for the phone call from Rochester. Alan is in Scarborough. Yeah, I'm good evening, Alan. Boats. I've been seeing a lot of chemtrails. Um, I don't know what to really make make of them. I see a lot of them all the time. Well, um, let's distinct, distinguish between an ordinary uh, contrail and what yeah. some people call persistent contrails, or you 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 call them chemtrails. Yeah, these are generally things that should dissipate, but they're in, at high altitude. Yeah. very little moisture, very cold air, and yeah. so an ordinary contrail, which comes out of the you know that plume that comes out of the back of a jet engine, usually yeah. would dissipate very quickly. Yeah, these are but, persistent. Yeah, but I, I see them; they, they kind of like um, expand. Yes. Um, yeah. Like I know what you say about contrails; they kind of disappear. Yeah, that's water. That's water vapor yeah. coming out of a jet engine, and yeah. uh, it, it, it it dissipates very quickly. You shouldn't yeah. see those at really high altitude, like say you know above thirty thousand feet. Uh, or, you know, let's say, I don't know, t- uh, 25,000 to 30,000 feet. You shouldn't yeah. see them up there. Yeah. But with these um, chemtrails that kind of stay in the sky and they kind of expand? Yes. I've witnessed that many times in Southern yeah. California. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and and, and um, so what do you make of it, Alan? What do you think is going on? I don't know. Like, I sort of think it's kind of like it's changing, altering the weather a little bit. Because I see them before, like, the rainstorm or whatever day before it rains, it was a storm. Right. And that's why I presume bad weather's ahead. Um, I, I remember uh, a, a quick story, Alan. I was, uh, we were shooting uh, season one of the Conspiracy TV show, and I'm in Southern California with the crew. We're making our way uh, to uh, interview a woman who's yeah. a, a researcher. And, the, and the, on the, more, on the uh, country station we were listening to, they were saying, you know, not a cloud in the sky today. A, you know, typical Southern California summer day. And um, so I sit down and I'm, I'm speaking with this um, uh, researcher 
And uh, she starts to point up. She goes, it started. And we look up, and, and just this thin ribbon uh, of a, look, uh, like a contrail. And then it started, as you say, Alan, to spread out. And then another one, and another one, and another one. And pretty soon, the entire blue sky yeah. was obliterated. The sun was bl- obliterated, and it was just this gray haziness. And not the not the the kind of rain clouds, you know, storm clouds, the, the the cumulus, you know, clouds, really high and fluffy. These yeah. this is just kind of a a thin, kind of a, a um, haze obliterating the sun. That's the key. They keep obliterating the sun. Is do you think it's a last ditch effort to stave off uh, uh, climate change, or what do you think is going on? Well, I don't know. I, I, like you said, it starts out like a clear sky, and then it just sort of gets more cloudier as the day progresses. And that's what I sort of like see. Mm-hmm. Um, like, who knows? I mean, I don't know if it's weather manipulation, like, you know, or if that's altering the weather patterns. Um, yeah, I, um, I think there's definitely some skullduggery afoot. Um, I uh, I know that there were there were um, there were talks from uh, the climate scientists, yeah. and they were speculating about how how to forestall climate change. Yeah, and they were saying that if they could pump basically millions of tons of aluminum uh, part- uh, particulates, aluminum yeah. into the atmosphere, they could sort of redirect the sun's rays back out into the atmosphere. Yeah, now aluminum. Imagine aluminum particulates floating around, eventually settling down into the soil, people breathing that in. And you look yeah. at the spikes in things like Alzheimer's and dementia, uh, and, and we know that aluminum, uh, there, isn't, there, is a, there is a connection. Yeah. It, I, I'm wondering if, you know, they were saying we might need to do this. We might need to put uh, aluminum oxide or aluminum particulates into the atmosphere. I'm thinking they've already done it. Something to think about. Alan in Scarborough, thank you for the call. We'll uh, come back, get to some more calls at 416-360-0740 and 866-740, sorry, 866-744-740 from just about anywhere. And uh, I want to tell, I want to play you a clip from uh, Judge Andrew Napolitano, a former New Jersey uh, a court judge, who uh, was a regular commentary uh, commentator on Fox Business, and I couldn't. You won't believe the sorts of things he was saying. I mean, you, you may agree with him, but you might might say, "How was he allowed to say that on Fox?" Well, the answer is he's not allowed to say it anymore. And when we play this clip, you'll probably understand why he was pushed aside. Back with more of the Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. In a democracy, we elect officials so we can sleep at night. So why are you up? 416-360-0740 or toll free in Ontario, 1-866-740-4740. Shaking the world and seeing what falls. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio, AM 740. Thomas Fusco is standing by. It's Fusco, right? Did I say that correctly? Good. Thomas P. Fusco, author of uh, Behind the Cosmic Veil, independent researcher, and he'll discuss his uh, theory of supernatural mechanics. 
uh, and utilizing a model based in part on uh, lost biblical cosmology. And he'll explain how this new framework can explain the workings of miracles, psychic phenomena, and paranormal phenomena. And in a related note, I just got this in the mail. Uh, there's a new book out. It's, uh, it's called The Fall of the House of Skeptics, and it's by Chris Carter, uh, with a foreword by Rupert Sheldrake. Uh, sorry, the full title is Science and Psychic Phenomena, The Fall of the House of Skeptics. And um, just to paraphrase here from the book, uh, the, the, the dust cover here, parapsychology is routinely attacked in the mainstream because its very existence challenges doctrinaire materialism. Chris Carter calls us to disregard this church of skepticism and to reach our own conclusions by looking at the vast body of um, what they call psi evidence, but spelled P-S-I, P-S-I evidence. All right, we're going to work very hard to get Chris Carter on the program uh, to discuss that. I love the the title, The Fall of the House of Skeptics. All right, Um, for those of you who don't uh, watch uh, Fox News, they also have a channel called Fox Business. And a longtime contributor to Fox News, now he's still on the Fox News channel, Uh, He does like one-minute little commentaries. But where he would really let loose was on Fox Business. Andrew Napolitano um, is a former New Jersey Superior Court judge. And he's also a political and legal analyst, as I say, for Fox News. Well, until recently, he was on Fox Business. And he had a little program called Freedom Watch. Now, this guy, incredibly eloquent speaker, and a real patriot. He's an American, but what he has, and he talks about what's going on in America. But I mean, we all we all tend to sort of look south to see what's going on there. That's the barometer, right? Have a listen to this commentary by Judge Andrew Napolitano. It's one of his last on Fox Business. I have that clip for one, one second here. Again, this is Judge. Are you, do we have that? Is it going to work? Okay, we'll uh, we'll play it later. All right. Uh, sorry about that, folks. This um, this happens once in a while. It's live radio, after all. But we will get uh, uh, that that clip. Hopefully, we can squeeze it in before the top of the hour. 416-360-0740, 416-360-0740, and one, I keep forgetting the one, one 740 All right. Um, any luck with that? Opinion. What if there were more? Okay, here we go. Does the government work for us or do we work for the government? What if Democrats and Republicans were two wings of the same bird of prey? Tonight, what if elections don't matter? What if elections were actually useful tools for social control? What if they just provided the populace with meaningless participation in a process that validates an establishment that never meaningfully changes? What if that establishment doesn't want and doesn't have the consent of the governed? What if the two-party system was actually a mechanism used to limit so-called public opinion? 
What if there were more than two sides to every issue, but the two parties wanted to box you into a corner, one of their corners? What if there's no such thing as public opinion, because every thinking person has opinions that are uniquely his own? What if what we call public opinion was just a manufactured narrative that makes it easier to convince people that if their views are different, then there's something wrong with that or there's something wrong with them? What if the whole purpose of the Democratic and Republican parties was not to expand voters' choices, but to limit them? What if the widely perceived differences between the two parties was just an illusion? What if the heart of the government policy remains the same no matter who's in the White House? What if the heart of government policy remains the same no matter what the people want? What if those vaunted differences between Democrat and Republican were actually just minor disagreements? What if both parties just want power and are willing to have young people fight meaningless wars in order to enhance that power? What if both parties continue to fight the war on drugs just to give bureaucrats and cops bigger budgets and more jobs? What if government policies didn't change when government leaders did? What if no matter who won an election, government stayed the same? What if government was really a revolving door for political hacks bent on exploiting the people once they're in charge? What if both parties supported welfare, war, debt, bailouts, and big government? What if the rhetoric that candidates displayed on the campaign trail was dumped after electoral victory? What if Barack Obama campaigned as an anti-war, pro-civil liberties candidate and then waged senseless wars while assaulting your rights that the Constitution is supposed to protect? What if George W. Bush campaigned on a platform of non-intervention and small government and then waged a foreign policy of muscular military intervention and a domestic policy of vast government borrowing and growth? What if Bill Clinton declared that the era of big government was over but actually just convinced Republicans like Newt Gingrich that they can get what they want out of big government too? What if the Republicans went along with it? What if Ronald Reagan spent six years running for president, promising to shrink the government, but then the government grew while he was in the White House? What if, notwithstanding Reagan's ideas and cheerfulness and libertarian rhetoric, there really was no Reagan revolution at all? What if all this is happening again? What if Rick Santorum is being embraced by voters who want small government, even though Senator Santorum voted for the Patriot Act, for an expansion of Medicare, and for raising the debt ceiling by trillions of dollars? What if Mitt Romney is being embraced by voters who want anyone but Barack Obama, but they don't realize that Mitt Romney might as well be Barack Obama on everything from warfare to welfare? What if Ron Paul is being ignored by the media, not because, as it claims, he's unappealing or unelectable, but because he doesn't fit into the pre-manufactured public opinion mold used by the establishment to pigeonhole the electorate and create the so-called narrative that drives media coverage of elections? What if the biggest difference between most candidates was not substance, but style? What if those stylistic differences were packaged as substantive ones to reinforce the illusion of a difference between Democrats and Republicans? What if Mitt, Mitt Romney wins and ends up continuing most of the same policies that Barack Obama promoted? What if Barack Obama's policies, too, are merely extensions of those from George W. Bush? What if a government that manipulated us could be fired? What if a government that lacked the true and knowing consent of the governed could be dismissed? What if it were possible to have a real game changer? What if we need a Ron Paul to preserve and protect our freedoms from the government?
What if we could make elections matter again? What if we could do something about this? From New York, defending freedom every night of the week. That was Judge Andrew Napolitano, erstwhile commentator from Fox Business. Well, he got canned about a week ago. He wasn't told why. His staff was let go. He still continues to do a one-minute commentary on Fox News. Uh, But after hearing that, uh, I encourage you to go to YouTube, listen to some of his other salvos on Freedom Watch. What if Judge Andrew Napolitano was right? Back with more of The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. Peering into the shadows where the truth often hides. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740. Different views make great conversation. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio, AM 740. To speak to Richard live, call 416-360-0740 or toll free in Ontario, 1-866-740-4740. And you can follow me on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash Richard Serrett, all one word, www.twitter.com forward slash Richard Serrett. Let me spell my last name, S as in Simon, Y, R, E, T is in Tom, T is in Tom. Twitter.com forward slash Richard Serrett. And uh, I also uh, encourage you to visit the website, theconspiracyshow.com. I'm sort of slowly merging richardserrett.com with theconspiracyshow.com. Uh, you can get to richardserrett.com through theconspiracyshow.com. And uh, that's um, going to house all of the television information and the radio as well. And, of course, we are, um, we're anxiously waiting to hear uh, news on Season 3 uh, to get into production for The Conspiracy Show. Seasons 1 and 2 are now... This is interesting. I'm, I'm starting to get uh, emails from Italy, uh, some of them in uh, English, in, in, uh, some of them in broken English, and some of them in, entirely in, Ital- in Italian, as um, uh, The Conspiracy Show, the first two seasons, are now being shown in Europe. Uh, in the Italian-speaking market. Places like uh, Italy, of course, all of Italy, Vatican City, who knows? Maybe the Pope is watching. (laughs) Uh, uh, What did he say about the veil wolves? Uh, (laughs) uh, uh, Where else? Uh, San Marino, uh, the Italian-speaking market in Switzerland, Monaco, uh, Malta. So, and I'm dubbed, I guess. Um... I'm, I haven't seen it myself uh, speaking Italian, but I'm, I'm most anxious to. Anyway, so uh, stay tuned for news on season three of The Conspiracy Show. In the meantime, of course, we still have our Sunday night show here. Uh, this uh, dead bird story continues um, to, uh, to gather steam. Here we have now hundreds of dead birds being dropped or not being dropped. <laughs> hundreds of dead birds dropping from the sky and landing onto uh, I-95 midweek this week. It actually brought afternoon rush hour traffic to a crawl. And uh, uh, there were um, uh, common starlings, apparently. And while there were a few in the grass and on the shoulders of the highway, the vast majority landed right on the northbound travel lanes in Laurel. Now, I'm trying to figure out where is I-95. That's in Maryland, I believe. Or Well, it, it runs through uh, Maryland. 
Laurel. Yes, it is. It's Maryland. Uh, we were just kind of curious about running them over and getting them stuck in your tires and all that nastiness, said one witness, Tammy Johnson. Uh, traffic backed up as drivers slowed down and out of concern for the birds in their cars. A highway crew swept and shoveled what they could uh, while the drivers kept scratching their heads. State biologists say they've, been, they all, they've also seen starlings, which tend to fly in large, tight flocks, crash into the sides of tractor trailers. Some, however, suspect something more sinister. Environmental hazards, toxins in the air, and perhaps uh, something in the environment, one person said. Maryland Department of Natural Resources biologist Peter Bedell believes the starlings flew into a truck. He does not uh, suspect any disease and is sending samples to a lab just in case. Laurel resident Dan Kennedy said something weird happening, uh, saw something happening uh, weird nearby a week or two ago. A bunch of birds flying into a parking lot and diving thinking it was water, and a bunch of birds died in that instance. Some are linking the deaths to similar incidents elsewhere. Down in Alabama or Mississippi, something, something like that uh, happened where a bunch of birds just died and fell out of the sky, said Richmond resident Doug Morris. One possible culprit is nearby power lines. The birds could have encountered uh, something deadly simultaneously, but with no definitive cause named for killing the birds, some continue to worry about a hidden danger to themselves. We're next. They're the canaries, a person said. Well, you know, it's interesting. The uh, scientists are tracking uh, some rather large uh, sunspots. Uh, and, of course, we are overdue for a, a massive coronal ejection. Uh, some are saying it could happen this year, late this year. Oh, I don't know, maybe around December 21st, the winter solstice of 2012. And uh, some are saying, well, if it doesn't happen then, it, you know, it'll, in other words, it's not a question of if, it's a question of when. Now, is it possible that uh, the sunspot activity is perhaps wreaking havoc with our electromagnetic uh, system here on Earth? I mean, it does have that effect. Um, you know, there have been a number, a number of uh, coronal ejections that have wiped out the, uh, back in the 1850s, the telegraph system around the world went kablooey, as they used to say on Batman. And uh, it, it took, um, you know, a scientist years and years and years. No one could figure it out why it happened, and, and he pieced it together. It was a, a coronal mass ejection. And um, then it happened again in, I think, the 1930s, and it knocked out the, uh, the streetcar system, the trolleys, all over New York and up and down the eastern seaboard. Now, imagine a, a massive coronal ejection taking place today. We're all running around with our heads buried in our iPads and our, uh, our iPhones. Everything is digital and electronic. I mean, we are living in the electronic age, like never before. We are so dependent on electricity. I mean, we, people didn't really take notice back in the 1850s. Yeah, the telegraph went under, but, I mean, you still lit your house with a kerosene lamp. There was no electricity. We could be, when the next, when the next, the next coronal mass ejection takes place, we could be freezing in the dark, my friends, for a very long time. So could these birds that are falling out of the sky, keeping in mind that, you know, their migration patterns and so forth uh, is heavily dependent on the electromagnetic 
field around the earth. Could this be a sign of things to come? And then, of course, we have the um, um, you know fish uh, uh, turning a belly up out in Chesapeake Bay and, and uh, unexplained. If you, if you pay attention to the news, you'll see these stories. They're all over the place. Why are these fish dying? And uh, I recently learned that fish, they actually navigate. They have like these metal filings, the equivalent of these metal filings in their nostrils. David's looking at me like I have a th- I'm growing a third eye. Maybe I am. But this is the way fish navigate with these metal filings in their nostrils. And that, of course, has to be in in, in tune with the electromagnetic system. And once that goes haywire, birds start falling out of the sky, fish start turning belly up. Keep your eyes on the sun, folks. All right, we have uh, Thomas Fusco, Thomas P. Fusco, standing by on the other side as we will uh, discuss behind the cosmic veil. He's got a theory of supergeometry presented in his new book, Behind the Cosmic Veil, a new vision of reality, merging science, the spiritual, and the supernatural. He's up next. Hope you'll stay along for this ride. Back with more in a moment. My name is Richard Serrett. When in doubt, blame the government. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zuma Radio, AM 740. Next week on the program, Victor Vigiani from Zealand News Service uh, will be here, along with uh, British uh, researcher uh, Robert Graham, uh, to discuss how the media, and in particular how Hollywood, has handled the whole UFO issue. Uh, and and the involvement of certain intelligence groups in influencing and massaging the message that comes to us through Hollywood pertaining to UFOs. So Hollywood mind control and uh, the UFO issue. Victor Vigiani, Robert Graham, and also a um, um, disclosure advocate, Stephen Bassett, uh, will drop by for a few minutes to, to discuss his ongoing efforts uh, to get a petition uh, through uh, to the White House concerning disclosure, demanding that uh, the White House uh, make a statement on on UFOs 
and affirm their existence and their interaction with humankind and so forth. Uh, he's, they're just running into one roadblock after another and uh, hopefully, if we can all sort of draw enough attention to this and get the, the requisite number of signatures and so on and so forth, uh, we can finally get um, some sort of an acknowledgement. All right. I wouldn't hold my breath, however. <laughs> um, we, um, we're going to shift gears here now. And uh, for nearly three decades, my next guest has devoted research, his research, into the relationship between mind, physics, spirituality, parapsychology, scientific anomalies, and unifying cosmological, oh, sorry, and, and uh, scientific anomalies and paranormal phenomena with the goal with the goal of uncovering the unifying cosmological framework that has eluded mankind for generations. He is the author of Behind the Cosmic Veil, A New Vision of Reality. Thomas P. Fusco, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. How are you? Great, Richard. Thanks for having me. Well, I, uh, when I got your email, uh, you, I mean, the things that you're talking about in your book, you're, I mean, you're ticking all the boxes, the things that we love to talk on this, on this show and things that I'm particularly interested in. And that is, um, uh, you know, scientists are, are all, uh, uh, all about trying to find this one unifying theory of everything. And, um, uh, I mean, on this show, there's this, we discussed sort of this, this, this chasm that's between People like you that are trying, you know, your darndest to find some framework to explain, as you as you pointed out, you know, uh, para uh, paranormal uh, events and supernatural events and things like that. And then you have the skeptics on the other side who don't want to hear any of that. They don't want to hear any of that. They dismiss it. They won't engage you on the topic. Um, they only know what they can see uh, through a tel- uh, through a through a microscope. So I, I really applaud you for trying to bridge that and. Um, at trying to, I guess, find that that unifying field of everything that's going to link the the paranormal with what we consider now to be, you know, you know, science, science and known science and, and, and things like that. But how did you get down this road? Well, Richard, I had some uh, unusual, uh, what we would probably call psychic experiences today, uh, in my teen years, in my early twenties. And it caused me to call into question the model of reality that I had been taught in school and in college. And um, it certainly uh, did not explain the kind of things that I experienced. So being very pragmatic and very scientifically minded, um, I concluded that those models must be wrong. And so I devoted uh, much of my adult life into finding uh, the correct model that would actually give us a picture of what we call the supernatural. Can you just give me a, a, a glimpse into what the, the, the psychic phenomena that you experienced was all about? What happened? Well, uh, Richard, what I uh, normally do uh, uh, in, in talking about this uh, I do have a sample chapter uh, of my book on my website that goes into those things in greater detail, but I uh, have grown to understand that I'm, it's probably not the best thing for me to discuss uh, openly in the air or on the air. I just uh, uh, refer people to the site, and they can read it in greater detail. All right. Um, so this, this sets you on your quest to try and understand um, or, or come to a new framework that would encompass your experiences 
with the world around you uh, because the, the version of reality you'd received in school that we've all received in school uh, didn't account for that. So where does such a journey begin? Well, there were a couple of premises that I came to uh, uh, understand early on. Uh, the first thing that, uh, that I came to realize is that the reason why uh, the standard models of physics didn't allow for such things is because they were based on a paradigm that uh, accepted a completely material or physical explanation for everything that occurs in the universe. And according to my understanding, uh, there, there was definitely a part of reality that we observe and witness and experience that is not explained by the physical. And so that was one of the premises that uh, helped me get over uh, sort of the mental barriers, so to speak, that had traditionally existed in this kind of a, a study. Now, uh, the field of, of quantum physics... Um, is sort of, I think, coming a long way in explaining uh, some of this stuff. I mean, um, this is something that, that uh, really Einstein didn't want to have anything to do with. He called it spooky action at a distance because I... Well, why? why let's, I know that you're a, a, a big fan of Einstein. Can I ask you that? Why was Einstein not comfortable with quantum mechanics? The reasoning behind uh, Einstein's overview of this was not so much that he had something against quantum mechanics. Uh, what he had against was the conclusion that uh, quantum physicists were drawing about the nature of the universe from them. Uh, for example, uh, we know, most people generally know that uh, quantum physics talks about a world of uh, random chance, so to speak, that it uh, talks about the world in terms of probabilities and not, and not definite predictabilities. Einstein felt that this was not truly the nature of the universe, as the quantum physicists were arguing. Einstein maintained that this was just an illusion. In other words, the reason why things looked random and unpredictable was because we lacked the ability to gather all of the information that would be necessary and the mathematical algorithms that would be required to actually pin down the reasons why these events looked like they were occurring on the quantum level. Let, uh, let me talk to you a little bit about uh, a quantum entanglement where, you know, the, the idea that the space between objects is, is very uh, illusory and... and uh, uh, a particle, you know, millions of light years away uh, could be in some way connected to a particle right in front of my nose. And, uh, I mean, obviously I'm, I'm oversimplifying it, but do you not think that that alone could explain a lot of um, uh, uh, psychic abilities that people might have? If we're able to come up with a model that gives us the mechanics behind that type of phenomena. And, and I think that uh, the way you're explaining it, Richard, uh, uh, needs to be reduced in its simplest terms, like what you're trying to do. You can have correlated particles that have opposite quantum polarities, and that pair of particles, let's say photons, 
they could be split in half so each one's flying away from each other at the speed of light, but they have opposite polarities. And let's say particle A can be passed through a polarizing filter that reverses its polarity, and its partner, its correlated partner, will instantaneously uh, reverse its own polarity to reestablish that balance. As you said, even if it's hundreds of light years apart from one another, to a distance to where it's even impossible to conceive at multiple speeds of light how the information about the state of particle A could be transmitted instantaneously to particle B. And you are also correct in the idea that this is something that operates very similar to parapsychological phenomena like telepathy or remote viewing. The problem with the current paradigm in science is that it excludes anything that is outside of a physical explanation. So what the quantum physicist has done overall is to just tell us that this is simply the way the universe is put together, and that's it. And Einstein would have said, no, no, you don't get away that easy. There has to be an underlying reality that we can't see that where these particles are actually connected in such a way, and there needs to be a mechanical system by which we can explain that process. Thomas Fusco, the author of Behind the Cosmic Veil, A New Vision of Reality, Merging Science, the Spiritual, and the Supernatural. Now, you've come at this from a slightly different uh, way. Uh, you have, you want, you're here to discuss a theory called supernatural mechanics, and you say it's based in part on a lost biblical cosmology that's been hidden in plain view for centuries. So let's get into this uh, discussion of, of supernatural mechanics. First, what is your definition of supernatural mechanics? It's something like uh, the same kind of term that's, ex that's, that's applied to quantum physics. Quantum mechanics is a system of, uh, of laws and principles by which uh, we describe the type of observations that we see on the quantum level. Supernatural or paranormal mechanics is a similarly a set of laws and principles by which we can under, understand and explain the type of uh, paranormal observations that we see, uh, especially, uh, for example, in haunted houses, all the various types of phenomena that are seen at the site of hauntings. Uh, and so my phrase supernatural mechanics uh, is that description of, of the processes behind that. And, and you're saying that this is to be found in uh, biblical cosmology, but it's been hidden in plain view. Yes. Uh, the, the biblical cosmology is one of the legs of, of, of my theory. It, it's kind of like a triad. Um, part of it has to do with the superphysical bending of space, Another aspect has to do with the way that superphysical, that's outside of space and time, information becomes materialized as it passes into our realm of dimensional space. And then the mechanism by which that whole process uh, begins. And that third leg is, surprisingly, there is a cosmology that's in the Bible that describes a particular system that would give us an idea of how these things come into being. Would you be able to cite an example 
that that's, that that could be found in 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 a, a particular chapter in, or verse in the Bible that uh, would illustrate that point. Well, uh, in the limited time that we have on the broadcast, I can give a very broad, uh, basic idea of what I'm talking yes, about. Yes, please. Um, our understanding of God, at least from a biblical perspective, is we're talking about a being who is all-knowing, all-seeing, is eternal, has no beginning or end. In other words, without time and without dimension. Exists outside and, time and space. I'm sorry? Exists outside time and space. Uh, yes, and in fact, uh, um, you know, atemporal and a-dimensional. In other words, there's nothing timed or spaced about uh, God at all. But he's also considered a pure, absolute substance, uh, in a sense. There's no change or variation. Now, imagine that type of a being deciding to, that he is going to create a physical universe, a universe that has a beginning and an end, that has dimensions that actually can be uh, measured, that has variations and changes throughout. Things get created and things get destroyed something essentially almost exact opposite to his nature. Well, the first problem he's going to have is where are you going to create such a realm? He cannot create it within himself because it would not sustain itself within him. His nature is so opposite to it that anything that would be quote-unquote corruptible would immediately be destroyed in his presence. Right. So the first problem he would have is to create a realm outside of himself. So that would be the first step, so that this corruptible dimensional creation could be sustained. The second step that he would have is the expression of dimensions, uh, spatial and temporal. The actual term dimension means measurability. There has to be differences between here and there, or then and now, in order to have dimensions and measurability. Right. But he himself has no differences. So the second thing that he would have to do is to create an adversary. He would have to have an antithesis to himself. And in clashing or conflicting with that antithesis would create the pre-dimensional waves that would ultimately give rise to physical reality. And we know in physics that every piece of matter and energy in the universe has a wave function. But we just simply don't know where these guide waves, as, as uh, Louis de Broglie uh, talked about in the early 20th century, we have no idea where these guide waves come from that give rise to physical material. And so this kind of a model from the Bible actually gives us an idea where that would have come from. Does the Bible... I, I remember a, a conversation I had um, with the author of a book on Bible codes. I, uh, I believe it's Chuck Misler. And he... Uh, I can't recall the, the chapter and verse, but he, he said that in the Bible uh, there was actually a description of... Um, you know, a multidimensional universe beyond the, you know, the the, um, the four that, w- that we're aware of. Uh, and and uh, the, the chapter, the, the particular passage, talked about scrolling back the heavens. And when you think of uh, 
uh, the, you know, scrolling. Uh, I, I've heard that term scrolling or, or uh, described in, by, by physicists or, or theoretical physicists in attempting to describe what one of these other dimensions, and I think they're now talking about what, an additional 11 other theoretical dimensions out there? So it depends on what version of string theory that you're talking right, about. Right, right. Um, one of the, uh, there, and as, as you may know, there are a number of, of unresolvable uh, quandaries with string theory, which is why it's not been accepted as a viable theory of everything. And I argue that the reasons why is because, once again, People are trying to explain a physical universe uh, with aspects that seem to be non-physical, but they try to explain it in a physical way. So when we're talking about dimensions, we're talking about something physical. In my book, I've done away with that idea of higher dimensions or extra dimensions because it just scientifically doesn't make sense. Anything out of our four dimensions is not measurable. And so it's not dimensional, and that's one of the problems string theory has with 11 uh, uh, dimensions or 23 dimensions. They cannot explain how those things are folded up into R4. Well, you know, the, the, the hubris of uh, what I would generally call the, you know, the materialists, that they've got it all figured out, considering, uh, depending on, on uh, the scientists, the, the universe is comprised of anywhere between 83 and 95% dark matter, uh, which we know virtually nothing about, and it's uh, you can't even detect it with uh, with a telescope. So ninety somewhere between eighty three and ninety five percent of the universe is invisible. Yes, <clears throat> and what I've come to the conclusion to, and I'm not the only person who has come to this conclusion, is that dark matter simply doesn't exist. Ah, even those who propose it. They may present it to the public as if it's an absolute established fact, but there's no more evidence for dark matter than coming down your uh, stairs Christmas morning and seeing presents under your tree and taking that as a validation of the existence of Santa Claus. <laughs> okay, point well made. We'll come back with Thomas Fusco, the author of Behind the Cosmic Veil, A New Vision of Reality, Merging Science, the Spiritual and the Supernatural. Get on board. Questions and comments, 416-360-0740. And toll-free from just about anywhere, one 866 Take a look around. What do you really see? This is where you can tell all about it. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio, AM 740. Fasten your seatbelt and put your tray in the upright position. You're about to leave everything you know behind. On The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740. Thomas Fusco uh, stays with us for the hour. Now, uh, Thomas, um, I, I want to ask you about uh, subatomic particles and um, the neutrino. Some, some have called them nature's ghost particles. They, uh, apparently they can travel, uh, some say, faster than light. They can, they can pass through solid objects. Um, 
I mean, is is that where you're going with with you know maybe explaining certain paranormal events like hauntings? That could they be comprised of neutrinos? Is that what we're talking about? Well, actually, not. Um, I know that some months ago, uh, CERN over in Europe had recorded a finding that they had detected faster than light neutrinos, and this is what got into the public mainstream news because it was sensational. What didn't get published in the mainstream news was all the problems with that. And the general consensus of the scientific community is that's a false reading. There's something wrong with their experiment. Uh, To make a long story short, uh, if what their findings were turns out to be true, then for decades, physicists have been getting the right answers and the right solutions using all the wrong mathematics. Okay. That's pretty much impossible. All right. So uh, then with this framework that you're offering up, how would you then explain ghosts? I'm sorry. I, I'm you faded out a little bit, Richard. I'm sorry. I didn't okay. Hear you. Uh, then tell us how, using your framework, you would explain uh, uh, apparitions, hauntings, and so forth. Okay. What I've done is I've accepted the evidence in front of our eyes, so to speak, uh, without trying to force everything that we see into a physical material explanation. Specifically, what I'm talking about is gravity. Gravity has been the bone in science's throat for a long, long time. Uh, Einstein failed to balance his unified field equations because he couldn't express gravity in four dimensions. The one thing that prevents us from reconciling relativity and quantum physics is gravity. Our standard model, capital S, capital M, that physics uses for the universe that lists all the particles and all their interactions has no expression for gravity. In order to come up with a material explanation for gravity, they need all three particles, dark matter, graviton, and Higgs boson, and they haven't been able to nail down any one of them. And there's other anomalies with gravity, too. So I just assumed that what we see is actually that gravity does not have a material physical cause. Now, once we take that into consideration, we can consider what the consequences would be of the bending of space, which is associated with gravity, but that that space could be bent without having a physical cause from outside of space-time, as, as Theodore Calusa said. So when we take that bending of space and bring it inside of a haunted house and say, okay, let's say we have a bubble of space-time expanding inside of the house, the phenomena that that would cause is exactly what paranormal researchers and investigators witness. Uh, in other words, um, they're, they're in some... Uh, inside some building where where gravity is being bent, 
and what they're witnessing then is a, f- a fleeting glimpse of what? The past, the future, not necessarily the spirit of a deceased individual coming back, but they're seeing someone in another time? Well, we have two aspects of it, and I think we're, uh, I found that it's best to describe one before the other. The first would actually be the crucible, the jar, the container in which material would manifest. The second part would be the information that enters into that container that materializes so that we see an apparition, hear a disembodied voice. Um, But to talk about the first part of it, if we had, if you imagine a bubble of space-time opening up and expanding inside of regular space in a haunted house where there's material, and by material I mean, for example, uh, air molecules. Let's take the air, for example. The first thing that that crushing and bending of space would do is excite the electrons inside the molecules of the air. The electrons would jump up into their higher orbits. And then when they expended that excitation, you would have a couple effects. The first thing it would do is is create an electromagnetic field. And so we see in investigations these electromagnetic fields literally appear out of thin air. And this would cause that. Another thing that these electrons would do when they drop into their lower orbits is that they would release photons. This is very understandable. We use it today in light-emitting diodes. That's exactly how an LED works. It excites electrons through an electromagnetic field, and when the electrons drop back down in their lower orbits, they emit photons. That's an LED. And the other thing it would do is release thermal energy. And that thermal energy would perfectly explain some of the uh, thermal images that people have captured with thermal cameras in paranormal sites. So uh, if we have an expanding bubble that is coated with an electromagnetic field and is emitting photons, I just perfectly described what they call a luminous orb. True. What about the, what about the, the, uh, the sudden drop in, in temperature people often report in a haunted location? Well, this is the beauty about this theory. Again, we can't see the effect out in the vacuum of space with the bending of space, but on Earth, where there's atmosphere, where there's material, we can see that the effect of a bubble of space-time expanding and opening up would create an actual vacuum inside of it. Now, if it happened very slowly, the surrounding air molecules and the heat energy that they contain would gracefully fill in the vacuum very quickly, and we would hardly notice any difference. It's like water seeking its own level. But if that bubble expanded dramatically and very quickly, it would be like opening up your front door very quickly on a cold winter's day. You would create a vacuum. You'd have an inrush of air. Uh, You would have an, an, an inequilibrium between what's inside and what's outside. So if that bubble opened up quickly like that, you would get a temporary cold spot. That's exactly what they see. Another thing that you would get is that you would have 
air rushing in, and you would get one of these mystery breezes that they feel, where they feel a breeze go by real quick with yes. no windows or doors open. Yes. So this is another way that this particular model answers all these kinds of uh, phenomena in a consistent way. The other cool thing about this, which is what's really causing a stir in the paranormal community over this, is that there are countless reports of people saying that at, on the onset of a paranormal event that they say the room feels heavy. Uh, they have a feeling of heaviness. Yes. And, Richard, it's not like ten people giving six different subjective impressions of a sensation. It's like 999 out of 1,000 people use the word heavy. We all know what that means, so when everybody's using it, it means something very specific. Well, this bending of space would create an additional gravitational field that would add to the gravitational field of the Earth, and it would result in people feeling literally a feeling of heaviness. Why would this bending of space occur in some locations uh, and not others? For example, uh, these you know these hauntings uh, occur in a location that has an, you know sort of an attached history to it, uh, maybe a violent death, like on a, a civil war battlefield, or um, you know the occupant. Uh, uh, suffered a violent death at the hands of uh, a mister, a mistress or, or something like that. There's always an, you know, a history attached. It happens in those locations. It doesn't happen in a, necessarily in a, in a brand new apartment complex. Uh, does, your, can your, does your theory sort of explain that? In part. Part of it, it does give some hard answers. Part of it is, is, is a speculation on my part. I'll explain what I mean. Uh, if we're talking about a whole area or a whole segment of reality, uh, let's say like a haunted house and the people that occupied it, um, comprised a body of coherent information that was stored and maintained outside of space-time, then it would be natural to assume that the intelligences that were very strongly associated with the information that comprised the surroundings, would still be connected to it somehow. Uh, that's one part of it. Uh, but we still need a reason of why space would bend more, uh, more readily in that place. And I think this goes to the understanding that the human brain has the ability to change physical reality. Um, Everything that we create, from the computers that we're looking at right now to the telephones we're talking to uh, or over, none of these could be natural occurrences. They're basically supernatural creations. We have the ability to take information and change it into physical reality like no other animal can. And so what I think happens is that because we have that kind of effect on our surroundings, I think that when we have very strong emotions and trauma and, in, in a place, that it actually serves to weaken the fabric of space-time so that it acts like a metal that's been fatigued and it makes it much easier to bend. And since that information from those traumatized intelligences is associated with those surroundings, they can more easily bend that space, and that's how we get haunted houses.
It's fascinating. Thomas P. Fusco is the author of Beyond the Cosmic, or sorry, Behind the Cosmic Veil, A New Vision of Reality. Now, uh, but you're not talking merely about, you know, exciting electrons uh, and, and so forth. You, you, you just mentioned that certain intelligences uh, could be attached to a location. Now, is that to suggest, because, I mean, people are obviously measuring uh, things beyond just, you know, drops in temperature or reporting this, this, feel, this heaviness, a feeling of, you know, dread or foreboding or whatever it is. Um, they're also talking about, you know, full-blown apparitions and, 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 uh, and, and voices. Yes. Uh, so how does your framework explain that? Well, the, uh, the voices is what is most exciting about this, because a gentleman named David Roundtree, who is an, uh, is an, an engineer, and he's uh, almost completed his doctorate in physics, has actually conducted the experiments that confirm my model. And so let's, uh, let's take what they call EVP for a second, Richard, uh, and disembodied voices and look at that very quickly. Electronic voice phenomenon. Yes. This is where, um, you know, strange voices are recorded on uh, uh, recorders that are normally not heard by the uh, witnesses at, or at that same site. They're not audibly heard, but sometimes they are. So if you take my model, if you recall that this swelling of space would produce an electromagnetic field, and you heard me refer to the idea that information can enter in from outside of space-time and begin to materialize within these bubbles of space-time, imagine an intelligence that is disembodied, but when it tries to speak in its disembodied intelligence, it generates information that would be according to what it's trying to speak. And imagine if that information began to materialize in one of these bubbles so that the very surface of the fabric of space of that bubble would begin to vibrate according to that materializing intelligence. What this would do, Richard, it would do two things depending on the frequency. The first thing it would do is it would agitate the air just like a set of vocal cords, but on a much weaker level, so that the fabric of space is almost acting like a speaker. And it's vibrating the air, and we hear a voice out of thin air. But the other thing that it would do, and here's what's so exciting, because uh, uh, Mr. Roundtree has already ver verified this experimentally, is that since it's giving off an electromagnetic field, when that surface vibrates, that electromagnetic field will also oscillate just like the electromagnetic signal coming from a needle from a phonograph. And it would transmit that electromagnetic frequency through the air, which would impose itself. It would resonate with the copper coils that are connected to the recorder's microphone. It doesn't affect the diaphragm, but the copper coils... It induces itself directly into those coils, and the recorder picks up the voice, just like, a, like the record player picks up the signal coming from the needle. And yet it's not heard in the air because it's an electromagnetic phenomenon. Fascinating. Now, just to be clear, so you're, you're saying that this bending of, of, of space in certain locations... Uh, and exciting electrons and protons and so forth, is not merely just producing a phenomena that one could 
uh, confuse for a ghost. You're suggesting here that at the at the root of this uh, is, I mean, that you believe or 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 know uh, scientifically that the the uh, the consciousness survives physical death. I would say that the consciousness uh, is is a collection of coherent information that is dynamic and interacts in a way that we would express as intelligence. That that same superphysical, extraphysical information not only exists while we're alive, but it also exists after we pass out of this physical form because it was the very information that actually created our physical form. Now, is, it, is a ghost a, an, an echo? Is it, is it uh, you know, the repository of all of the memories, of all of the thoughts, of all of the actions of a person while he was alive? In other words, it's the envelope. It's not the actual contents. It's, so in that sense, it's, it doesn't have consciousness. Or is a ghost... Um, uh, is a ghost actual actually conscious i guess is what i'm what i'm what i'm trying to say well the best way that i can try to describe this is to uh talk about a a, a simple parapsychological ph- phenomenon called telepathy mm-hmm. and what we see to try to reduce it in its simplest terms we have thought which is intelligent And we see a physical manifestation of that thought in the electrochemical processes of our brain. Now, that thought is information. It's intelligent information. And it gets transferred to another mind, let's say brain B, independently of its electrochemical component in brain A. Otherwise, what we were talking about would be kind of like a Star Trek teleportation of the electrochemical elements from brain A to brain B. That's not what happens. It's only the superphysical information that gets transferred to B. And interestingly, once that intelligent thought enters into brain B, it automatically materializes the same electrochemical elements that were in brain A. Right. Mine is verbal communication. Uh, yes, because it would have to, you know, uh, be a coherent... Uh, a sufficient collection of information to create a subsystem of speech. We're just talking about individual thought. Right, right, okay. But the process that I described is exactly the way information that comprised a person who lived 150 years ago can enter back into our physical space-time and materialize in a bubble of space-time where we would actually see a partial materialization of that information coming to us from 150 years in the past. Ah, so again, that would that sounds like to me what you're saying is that that's, that person is gone, uh, but the 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 residue of their thoughts are sort of available on an endless loop, if you will. Well, I don't know whether I would call it an endless loop. Because, again, we're speaking about a realm outside of space-time where time, space, our physical uh, uh, dimensional conceptions doesn't really play in the same way. 
What I would say is this, is that the very same information that materialized uh, and, and the, the original living person of 150 years ago is also materializing partially so that we see an apparition. But from where that information is coming from, it's above the speed of light, it's above space-time, so that dimensions are so collapsed in on themselves that there's almost no difference between 150 years ago and now. Quick, um, just a quick answer on this one. We'll go into a break. We'll come back and we'll talk miracles. But we talked about EVPs. What about live two-way communication between um, the here and the now and whatever lies beyond, uh, you know, the, 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 the veil? Uh, in other words, is it possible to have two-way conversations with the dead? Under certain conditions, uh, let's put it this way, under certain conditions, what I believe is that, yes, communication can be made with ethereal intelligences. The only problem is, Richard, we can't say for sure who it is. In other words, that information is like you sitting at a computer in a library. You have access to every piece of information on that hard drive. That doesn't mean that since it's talking in the voice of dead Aunt Mary, that it's actually dead Aunt Mary who's using and commanding that information. I'm reading you loud and clear. Yes. <laughs> Back with uh, more of my conversation, Thomas Fusco, the author of Beyond, Behind the Cosmic Veil, a new vision of reality, merging science, the spiritual, and the supernatural. Stay with us. Passcodes, personal identification numbers, social insurance numbers. If they make you wonder how private they are, here's two more numbers. 416-360-0740 or toll free in Ontario, 1-866-740-4740. Providing the evidence and letting you draw your own conclusions. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio, AM 740. Welcome back, Thomas Fosco, Behind the Cosmic Veil. Um, let's talk about uh, uh, miracles. Um, let's, uh, for example, uh, go back uh, 2,000 years and uh, the biblical accounts in the New Testament of Jesus Christ um, healing the blind, healing the maimed with a simple touch. Uh, how would your new framework, uh, an understanding of the, the universe, uh, explain what happened? Well, that's very interesting, uh, because it, it, the, this model does reveal uh, some of the mechanism that could be responsible. For example, the healing of the man with the withered hand. According to my model the information that would comprise a perfectly whole hand exists outside of space-time. But our physical world is corruptible, and sometimes things interfere with that, that information being materialized fully. So that the blueprint, so to speak, that was necessary for the hand to be made whole already exists. It's just a matter of making that information fully materialize in that location. Um, another 
type of a miracle, which gives us an understanding of what's going on, uh, is when Jesus uh, fed the thousands of people with five loaves and two fishes. Now, it doesn't say he multiplied them into other loaves and fishes. It says that everybody was fed with the same five loaves and the same two fishes. Well, each one of those objects have what I call a super geometric blueprint that can be reproduced in different places in space at the same coordinate in time. So what Jesus did was materialized those blueprints over and over and over again, thousands of times, but it was still the same five loaves and two fishes. What's interesting about that is that it doesn't violate the conservation laws that matter can neither be created nor destroyed because nothing new was created. It's the same five loaves and two fishes. I'm just trying to wrap my head around that. What kind of individual would be able to command those forces? I mean, I have my theory. Uh, um, I believe, you know, he was who he said he was, but how do you explain it? Well, uh, that's something that uh, I would say is a, like you would think, is a religious answer. The only answer I have is that he was indeed the epitome of the materialization of the creator of the universe, that his image most closely resembled that image. And so he was so directly connected to that that he was able to do these things. One of my favorite um, subjects, uh, and I talk about it um, usually once, once a year around Easter, and that is uh, uh, the relic known as the Shroud of Turin, which is reported to be the actual burial cloth of, of Jesus Christ, which many believe actually contains evidence of a resurrection event. What are your thoughts on that? My personal belief is that I believe that the Shroud is genuine. And that's based solely on the accumulation of all the evidence and the arguments back and forth concerning it. Um, I think that it is virtually impossible with the information that's on that cloth to have it be some sort of a medieval forgery. There's details on it that were not even understood until modern times. Uh, so I think it's the genuine article. Now, whether it is created by a supernatural effect or the image was created by some natural effect that we're unfamiliar with, I really don't know. You, you talk of a... Listen, why don't... Do, uh, I think I owe a break here. Do I... No, we just had a break. Okay, we're fine. We'll go right to the top of the hour with uh, Thomas Fusco, the author of Behind the Cosmic Veil. Um, you, you talk of a, the, the coming of a future where we'll have some sort of super technology by which we'll be able to create anything we can imagine. What do you mean by that? Well, here's part of my uh, new paradigm, and it's kind of a... Straightforward. It's just not normally thought about it this way before. Um, it is a scientific principle that every system is determined by, established by, and its behavior dictated by a given set of laws and principles. 
even if we don't understand what those laws and principles are. And the example I use is a standard deck of cards. There are laws and principles that establish that there's 52 of them, that there are four suits, and there are 13 values per suit. Now, you could come up with an almost infinite variety of games and rules and deal a dizzying array of different kinds of hands from it, but everything that's derived from it ultimately will have to be in accordance with the laws that govern the establishment of that deck of cards and how it's constructed. You would never deal a set of hands or make up a set of rules that operated in conflict with those principles or outside of them. You would not have a 14 of clubs or a suit of Chevrolets or something like that. So if we take that with the human brain, um, the human brain is a subset of the universe. The universe has a set of given laws and principles by which it operates. We don't understand them all yet, but we know that it, it's only, there's only one way that it was put together. Um, that which we can see. So the human brain being a subset of the physical universe means that it's built according to the same principles and the same laws, which means, Richard, it cannot operate in a way that's contrary to those laws or outside of those laws. That means the very idea that we can conceive and image something in this brain means that that conception and that image must be consistent with the laws that created the physical structure in which those things are uh, being conceived, which means that anything that we can imagine is physically possible. All we need to do is to find the technology necessary to convert that information directly into materialized reality. Well, uh, you know, we are told that we are we were made in the likeness of the creator. So that means we are co-creators. Uh, and Jesus of course said, you know, you, you know, you will do greater things than I am doing. Is, is that sort of the same thing you're talking about? Yes. We are the only creatures that can take invisible information and transform it, materialize it into physical reality. Now we don't look at it this way. Normally we sort of take it for granted, but if you look throughout the universe, I bet you you will not find an IBM computer or a 57 Chevy that self-assembled itself. We actually are supernatural beings that are constantly materializing supernatural forms in the physical universe. So we do it all the time. It's part of our physical construction. It's not that far of a stretch to imagine that there must be a way to directly materialize these forms without the use of our physical hands. Uh, I have a, a, a friend who's visited um, um, an ashram in, in India many times and um, uh, is an adherent to um, a particular yogi over there. And he says he's witnessed this yogi materialize uh, coins, gold coins, out of thin air, uh, and also witnessed this particular yogi uh, bring someone back from the dead who was basically blue, dead for hours. Um, what are your What are your thoughts on, on that? First, the materialization. Well, the the uh, um, I cannot comment on whether such a thing happened or not. 
none of us really can except the witnesses. What I can say, according to my model of the universe that I've come up with, that both of these things would be very understandable and would be possible. I again, I'm oversimplifying because that's you know my, that's the way I understand uh, uh, quantum mechanics. But tell me if I'm on this, uh, the right track here. Uh, and you go back to was it the, the double slit experiment where uh, sometimes a wave behaves like a particle and sometimes a particle uh, behaves like a wave depending on the observer. In other words, we can we can make subatomic particles behave in certain ways simply by observing them. Uh, and so if that's the case, um, and I'm thinking to books like, you know, the, the, the very popular that came out to like The Secret, uh, and, the, and through the power of intention, you know, we can create our own reality because at the subatomic level, we really are. We are, you know, simply by observing something, it changes its behavior or the way that it acts. Yes. Um, the, uh, my model does describe how that could be. The two-slit experiment is actually something that's far more complex and deeper. Um, but the two-slit experiment gives us the evidence, according to David Bohm and Louis de Broglie, uh, who wrote that great paper back in 1923 about guide waves, that there is a fundamental wave uh, function that actually unfolds in the physical reality, that when we see the anomalies of things like quantum mechanics and, two, and the two-slit experiment, that the reason why it seems mysterious to us is because we can't see the underlying matrix of waves and the information that connects all these things into one whole. I, I get, I'm thinking back to, uh, for example, miracles, miracles or, or, or spontaneous healings. If, in fact, a disease or some sort of an ailment or affliction could be reduced to essentially a waveform, and if an observer is able to turn a waveform into a, a, a particle or vice versa. I mean, could we not simply by observing and, and through our, uh, the power of intention collapse a waveform, which is a disease? In other words, that might explain how uh, these spontaneous healings occur? I, it wouldn't be along the lines how I would see it. How would you see it? Yeah, what I would see again, once again, we're talking about uh, that a condition has been established by which superphysical information is being materialized in the physical. Uh, so consequently, that system can be reversed, that direction can be reversed, and things can be dematerialized from the physical by reversing the polarity of that process, so to speak. So, uh, for example, if we had somebody that, let's say, had a diseased heart, the information for the healthy heart exists. If it was materialized at that at that physical location, uh, that heart would become healthy again. Fascinating. How can people get a hold of uh, Behind the Cosmic Veil, Thomas? Uh, you can find all the information about the book, related articles, uh, schedules of where I'll appear on on uh, future interviews and links on how to obtain the book 
You'll also find an email address that you can contact me directly if you want. I answer all my emails. All that can be found at www.cosmicveil, that's spelled V-E-I-L, cosmicveil.com. I've also linked up to your site on my homepage at richardserrett.com. Thomas, a real pleasure. I wish we had more time. We'll do it again, and we'll delve further. Thank you very much for having me on the show. I really had fun. My pleasure. Thomas Fosco, Behind the Cosmic Veil. My thanks to David Gaskin for production. And all of you for uh, listening, calling in during the first hour, our open line segment. We'll do that again as well. Uh, Back next week, Victor Vigiani and Robert Graham talking about Hollywood mind control and the UFO issue. Hope you'll be along for that. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There's nothing concealed that won't be revealed, nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark, speak in the light. What I say in a whisper, proclaim from the housetops. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home. Good night. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.